The World Tomorrow. Herbert W. Armstrong brings you the plain truth about today's world news and the prophecies of the world tomorrow. But there was a newscaster who foretold this same thing before the modern scientists were ever born or before they thought about it. And that was 1900 years ago, and that newscaster was Jesus Christ. And he came with a message. And the message that he brought was called his gospel. Now the word gospel simply means good news, and it was good news. It was the good news of the world's only hope, and it's sure hope of that very thing. One ruling world government, the Middle East, is going to be the center of action on the world scene from now on until the final battle of Armageddon and the second coming of Christ. But with the new China being aroused out of centuries of slumber and now beginning to extend its hand into Eastern Europe and other places, and now beginning to westernize itself and become an industrial nation, which means it will become a great military nation, and it could bring about the 100 million army that is prophesied in the Bible uh, to happen between now and uh, the Armageddon time. Now, if you look at the world society, it is absolutely sick. It's corrupt, it's evil. Governments are being toppled at the rate of one a month. The world's largest religion is being torn by dissension from within. A new pope has just been elected, the Roman Catholic Church in Rome. And he was actively supported by the cardinal who has been working very industriously for some time, assigned by the recent pope, on a United States of Europe in joining the nations of Europe together. And that is also prophesied in the 17th chapter of the book of Revelation. It is going to happen. And that program has been studied a very great deal. Two men have outlined a definite proposition. One I don't know, but I have his picture and we can use it. The other I do know and has been a dinner guest in my own home right here in Pasadena. And he very possibly may head a United States of Europe, which will be a prophesied resurrection of what was called the Holy Roman Empire, which ruled over the nations in Europe from 554 until 1814 A.D. There was just a slight little uh, resurrection of that empire that I think didn't even make first page headlines in the newspapers back in 1935 when Mussolini made a concordant with the uh, Vatican and proclaimed himself to be the emperor of the Roman Empire. However, that didn't attract much attention. Now, a united Europe will bring about a power, a superpower, because the nations of Europe want to unite. They just don't know how to do it. And it's possible that the now present pope may, or a future one, however it may be, extend his good offices to help them bring about what they would like to have in Europe. 
not only economical uh, cooperation, but an absolute political union <clears throat> with a common currency and a common military force. There is a great deal of nuclear power and weapons over there belonging to the United States, but which they could easily just take over. And they could become a stronger power than either the United States or Russia. And now within two decades, there's the promise that China may be greater than any of them. And one in competition against the others. That is the future that you can look forward to, and that is the world that you are living in now. Now, I am reminded of an editorial some years ago in a magazine that uh, I read quite often that is uh, read perhaps more by businessmen than uh, it is by the general public. In this editorial, it was talking about the dissensions, the condition in the world, and now our number one problem is that of survival. And the editorial said it would seem now that the only hope of having any world peace, the only hope of saving humanity alive, if you please, would be the intervention of a, quote, strong hand from someplace, unquote. Now, he just didn't like to say the eternal almighty God. He didn't like to acknowledge, perhaps in print, uh, a belief in that God. But that is precisely what was meant. And he was right, and that is the only hope that we have. Now, the scientists of today are saying that the only hope of peace now is one worldwide nation ruling the whole world with one supreme military force and no other armies, navies, or military forces of any kind in any other nation. Well, that is precisely what is going to happen. I bring you very good news right now. The only hope that this world has, and it is a sure hope, is that very thing, but it is not going to be brought about by men. I don't think that we in the United States would be likely to want to have uh, a man from the Kremlin head such a world power. I don't think that the people in Russia would want to have someone from the United States head such a power. I don't think that humans are ever going to be able to get together on a thing like that. But there was a newscaster who foretold this same thing before the modern scientists were ever born or before they thought about it. And that was 1900 years ago, and that newscaster was Jesus Christ. And he came with a message. And the message that he brought was called his gospel. Now the word gospel simply means good news, and it was good news. It was the good news of the world's only hope, and its sure hope, of that very thing. One ruling world government in supreme power, no other power could uh, be raised against it, and there will be mutual cooperation, harmony, and peace. And we will have, you know, if you mention the word utopia, 
You need to put quotes around it because everybody thinks that is just some crackpot thing that is so foolish it could never happen. Well, you listen to me, I bring you good news. That is going to happen, and it's absolutely certain. You know the idea of utopia, why should we not have it? There is a, uh, a, a cause back of every effect. And if we have an upset world of hostility, of competition, of strife, of violence, of immorality, everything wrong today, something has caused it. And if we just eliminate that cause, and if everybody wanted to have love for his neighbor, and if everybody had love above all, first for God Almighty, in obedience and reverence and worship, and we were all united in that, and everyone is trying to help everybody else, we wouldn't have any of these troubles. And if we had God's Holy Spirit, we would not be thinking carnally and selfishly and greedily and we wouldn't be thinking competitively and all of the things that are going on in the world today. The message of Jesus Christ, his gospel, is not known in the world today because he came and preached it in the years from 27 A.D. until 31 A.D., uh, probably beginning in the fall of, of 27 and ending in the spring of uh, 31, he preached to thousands upon thousands, but uh, there were only 150, or no, 120, who actually believed what he said, as you'll read in the 15th verse of the first chapter of the book of Acts, after he had preached three and a half years to many thousands of people. And he was very God in the human flesh. One of his names was Emmanuel, which means God with us. He was God in the human flesh. And yet only 120 believed what he said. He was preaching about the world tomorrow. He was preaching a message of the kingdom of God. Some of the churches of the Christian faith say that the church is the kingdom of God. Some others say that the kingdom of God is a nebulous something, or a nebulous nothing, I think I had better say, uh, set up in men's hearts. But of course, when you try to define what they mean, it's, uh, it's just a, a, a nothing. Uh, others have said the kingdom of God is what they call the millennium. Now, of course, the word millennium is not in the Bible, but... Uh, a millennium merely means a thousand years, and the coming thousand years in which Christ will be ruling the whole earth is mentioned in the Bible in a good many places. Then some used to say, they don't say that anymore now, that the British Empire was the kingdom of God. But of course there isn't any British Empire anymore. That has gone by the boards, and so they don't use that one anymore. Now what was that message that Christ brought? What did he proclaim? What was his gospel? We turn back to Mark in the uh, first chapter of the book of Mark. It's a good place to start because the first words are the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, this is the very beginning of his message, you know, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, after that John was put in prison and Jesus had qualified now 
and overcome and conquered Satan, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel. But what gospel? Do you ever read it right there in your Bible? The gospel of the kingdom of God. People say it's the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they think that's a gospel about Christ. Today, they are preaching a great deal around the world, a message about the messenger, but they are overlooking his message. And let me tell you, until I began preaching it myself back in 1933, I, uh, or even before that, 1931 as a matter of fact, I do not remember having heard anyone preach that gospel. I had never heard of it. And I think you had never heard of it prior to that time. The gospel or the good news, because gospel means good news, of the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God has not come yet. But I'm coming to that. Now, turn back to the book of Daniel. Daniel knew what the kingdom of God is in a prophecy. Clear back in one of the prophets. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had conquered Egypt and had conquered other countries and Assyria and so on and had raised up the first world empire. It's the first time there was ever a world empire on earth. Then he conquered Judah, the kingdom of Judah at Jerusalem. Now, it was not the kingdom of Israel. The kingdom of Israel had gone from there more than a hundred years before. But this was now the kingdom of Judah which was uh, three of the tribes of Israel. And among those that were taken captive, as Nebuchadnezzar took them captive, he uh, demolished Solomon's temple and took all of the people of Judah as slaves to Babylon. Now, among them were four young, especially brilliant Jewish lads. And it says here in verse 17 of Daniel 1, as for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom. Now, it didn't say they obtained it. God gave it to them. God is the great giver of everything worthwhile, if we could ever learn that lesson. And Daniel had understanding in visions and dreams. And that, of course, came from God. Now then, uh, as you read in through the second chapter of Daniel, the king Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and the first world ruler in the history of mankind was given a very important dream, very extraordinary dream. And he called all of the soothsayers, the astrologers, and so on, and demanded that they tell him what he had dreamed. And he demanded that they tell him what he had dreamed uh, beside what it meant. Well, of course, they couldn't do that. Then Daniel was called before him. In the second chapter of Daniel, beginning verse 27, I'll pick up a little of it. Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has demanded cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers show unto the king. But there is a God in heaven that reveals secrets and makes known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days? Not in his time, but in our time now. More than 2,500 years later. The dream and the vision upon thy bed were these. And in verse 31, Thou, O king, sawest, and behold, a great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. 
The image's head was of fine gold, the breast and arms of silver, the belly and thighs of brass, his legs of iron, and the feet part of iron and part of clay, and thou sawest till. Now there was a time element here. The head represented something that was, as he explained later, Nebuchadnezzar himself, and then after him something was to happen, and it comes down to our time. Now he saw up to the time where we are now living today. We are past the middle of the 20th century. Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, that is, in the supernatural power of God, which uh, smote the image upon uh, his feet that were of iron and clay, and brake them to pieces. And then was the iron, the clay, the brass, and the silver, and the gold, broken in pieces together, and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floor. The wind carried them away, no place was found for them, and the stone that smote the image became a great mountain. Now, I can show you where mountain, in many cases, is a symbol for a nation, a great kingdom or a great nation, and fill the whole earth. This is the dream, and we'll tell the interpretation thereof. Now, he interprets what that mountain was, and it comes down to verse 44. And here is the final interpretation of the stone smiting those toes. That is what is to happen yet in our time. It hasn't even happened yet now today. And in the days of these kings that are represented by the ten toes there, uh, shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom. That is the kingdom of God. The God of heaven will set up a kingdom. And that's a government. It is to replace. And he showed him that the kingdoms that were there were the Chaldean Empire of Nebuchadnezzar to be followed by the Persian Empire and that in turn by the, uh, uh, the Greco-Macedonian Empire and that in turn by the Roman Empire. And out of that would come finally, after its original demise, came the so-called Holy Roman Empire and that is yet going to be resurrected once more and that will become the ten toes when it does and the stone that smote the image is the second coming of Christ. Now this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I remember I was talking to a man and riding in a car from uh, Salem, Oregon up to Portland one time, uh, uh, oh, about uh, uh, 45 or more years ago. And I went through and explained this to him. And also Daniel's vision in the... Uh, uh, seventh chapter of Daniel about the four beasts or wild animals that he saw. And then in the 13th and 17th chapter of Revelation where it speaks about the same beasts or wild animals. And he was just absolutely disgusted. Now this man was a choir leader in a church and about assistant pastor. And he says, you certainly don't preach anything of that kind of stuff, do you? I says, I certainly do. That is the gospel. Oh, he says the gospel, he says, is just telling him about the person of Christ. Telling him about the messenger. I want to tell him about that messenger's message, not just the messenger. The messenger is important. He's a very big part of it. Because he'll be the king of the kingdom, but his message was the kingdom of God. Now in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom, which shall never be destroyed. That's eternal everlasting, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, meaning the governments of this earth. Now, there isn't any doubt about what he means by a kingdom. 
when you read this language. And if you'd read the whole thing, I didn't take the time to read all in between. But it does represent those governments. And it shall stand forever, the kingdom of God. And that's what the kingdom of God really is. Now, the purpose of that dream was to show the first uh, world ruler that God Almighty is king over the universe, that he makes and unmakes kings and kingdoms, and that he rules over the kings, and that he had given this Nebuchadnezzar his chance to be a king. Now, the people today do not know that God rules any more than Nebuchadnezzar do. They don't realize that God is the real ruler over the whole universe and that he is allowing Satan to sway and to deceive the world for a certain purpose and for a certain length of time right now and that he's going to take Satan away and Satan can do nothing that God does not allow and Satan cannot force you to do anything. He has no power of duress. He can't force you to do anything against your will if you're not willing to do it. But most people seem to have been willing, unfortunately. Now, there was a prophecy in Malachi, the third chapter, the first verse, that said there would be a messenger to prepare the way before Christ, and that Christ was coming as a messenger, the messenger of the covenant. He would come with a message from God, and that message is about a covenant. And, of course, it was the message of the new covenant, which is going to set up the kingdom of God. So, you find the same if we turn over into the book of Revelation now. Revelation, the 17th chapter. I won't have time to read, but just a portion of it, beginning the first three verses. And there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, vials that uh, contained the seven last plagues, incidentally, that had been described just before this, and uh, talked with me and said unto me, Come hither, and I will show thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. Now, a woman is symbolic of a church. And he's speaking of a great church that sits on many waters. Now, in verse 15, he saith unto me, The waters which thou saw, where the whore sitteth, are peoples and multitudes and nations and different languages. In other words, it was a church ruling over different nations that speaking different languages, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication. Because Christ is the king and the church is the affianced bride of Christ, and if we're in the church, we're supposed to be true to Christ and not the kings of this world. And the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, that is, a wild animal. And this beast represented a government, just like I showed you and I mentioned to you from the 7th chapter of Daniel and the 13th chapter of Revelation, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. Now, this was a very great church, for example, and ruling over many of them. Now, he gives a name and an identity. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great. In other words, the Babylonian mystery religion, which was the same religion that old King Nebuchadnezzar had. The Babylonian mystery religion, coming down to our time, 
the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. Those that came out of this church in protest, God has called here harlots. Now that may sound very shocking and very terrible, but uh, I'm not going to question the Almighty God, and this is the Word of God. And we will come on down to today, beginning with verse 12. And the ten horns which thou sawest, of which were on uh, this beast, are ten kings, or kingdoms, which have received no kingdom as yet, but will receive power as kings one hour with the beast. Now, what that one hour means is not explained, and the Bible does explain its symbols, but it certainly means a very short, brief time. And uh, uh, I would say it means anywhere from two to three and a half years. That's about all. And that's, uh, that's a guess. These have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto this beast, the beast that the woman sits upon, which was a combination of government speaking different languages, these shall make war with the Lamb. The Lamb is Christ at his second coming, the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world for the sins of the people. And the Lamb shall overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings. He's coming to rule the whole earth, and that is the kingdom of God. For more information please visit our website at www.coglittleflock.com.